Hello listeners, we are back again on Quote Unquote with KK. We have changed our programming calendar this month because we have got a very interesting thought leader on our show who is visiting India and has an Indian connection. He is Eric Johnson, a senior editor at GOC. He covers technology, analysis of technology impact on global logistics and trade. Eric talks to us on many of our startups in the logistics space. We happened to interact with Eric about three years back when he covered one of our startup called Shipwaves, which is a digital freight forward from India. And he actually put it along with Flexport, which is a Google venture funded company in his analysis. And I really thank Eric. Eric's uh, Indian connection is that he has his significant half from India. So he understands India very well. From the point of view, Eric studied at uh, the University of Wisconsin and did his Master's of International Business from University of Leeds. He has worked with several journals and industry and has spent almost 13 years with American shippers in variety of roles. Most recently, he was covering, again, logistics and tech. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to just roll back before we start talking with Eric. Last year, in our season one, we had two very significant thought leaders who talked about the situation in COVID. We had Parag Khanna, who talked about the Indochina trade relations and the Belt and Road initiatives and how things could be disrupted between India and China from a political as well as economic relation. Next, we had Dr. Jagdish Sheth, who talked about the supply chain constraints, shortages and other issues that the industry will face once we go out of COVID. And I'm sure we have seen that during the last uh, one year of COVID lockdowns. We had shortages of oxygen, we had shortages of intermediates, chemicals, and several other requirements from a supply chain point of view from China. Also, we had various issues of disruption from containers coming from China to India, and then they getting fed in from here onwards to the rest of the world. So logistics industry has had a lot of disruptions. Today, I'm going to be provoking a lot of these issues with Eric, who understands just not the global perspective, but also India at large. So welcome to our podcast show, Eric. I'm glad to have you once again speaking to you on our podcast show. Thank you so much, Capo, for inviting me. I'm uh, really delighted to be here and talking to your audience today. To set the context, what are the industry challenges that you are seeing in the whole logistic industry at this point in time? And how is it gearing up to meet the needs of the industry? That's a, it's a big question. This has been tw- 2020, 2021 have been historically difficult years, uh, I think, for the global logistics industry. Uh, it's not just the pandemic. We've seen a whole bunch of massive disruptions that in, in any other year would have been a big story unto themselves, but layered on top of the pandemic, they've been all the more prominent. And I think what we've started to see is that logistics has started to enter the consciousness of the common person because they are so, they now, after 2020 and 2021, really understand the connectedness between where goods come from and goods being available to them either through a website or at their local store or at a large departmental store, right? So, you know, I think from industry challenges, it's very hard to say that everyone faces the same challenges, right? It's a very segmented industry. It's very regionalized around the world. India has very different characteristics and challenges and opportunities than North America or South America. But I would say the one general issue is 
that there are three streams of things that, that run in parallel. There are the goods themselves. Then there's the data around those goods. And then there's the finance, the money that's connected to those goods. And all three of those things sort of run, are running at the same time in parallel, but they aren't very well connected. And they historically have not been very well connected. And I think the more we can, you know, as an industry start to connect those better, the better we're able to kind of cope with some of the disruptions that we've seen over the past year and a half. Eric, I want to take a little bit challenges between India, China and the disruptions and which is also leading to the cost of goods to the final user as well. Let me just uh, give you an example. In the medical or the pharmaceutical, the intermediate costs because of the disruptions in the supply chain have shot up by almost 100%, more than 100%. Similarly, I would see that happening across other industries as well. You know, metals, we have seen a huge spike up in prices and have you. How do you think the logistic players across the value chain need to step up or else we are going to see a huge inflationary trend across all countries globally if the logistic industry does not step up? So th this is actually an issue that's really getting a lot of attention in the in the US, which is where I'm normally based. I've been in India for the past three or four weeks and hearing a lot of the same discussions really across regions now. So it's a good question. I think the question you're you're sort of getting at is to what extent the systems in that are in place to move goods from one part of the world to another, to what extent are the pressures on those systems creating a rise in the cost of, of components and the things that make up raw materials, the things that make up the goods that we need or the industrial products that, you know, our economies are really reliant upon. I think it's it varies, right? I think we need to segment a couple things. I think we need to think about what are the essential items in our respective economies without which we can't do, right? Things like chips, microchips, which have obviously gotten a lot of attention, you know, metals, you know, those kind of raw material commodities that go into so many things that power our lives versus consumer products, which for the most part, you know, outside of food, outside of a few things that we need day to day, toilet paper, those sorts of things, they're luxury items, right? They're, they're things that we want to buy and like to buy and they power a lot of the economy. But the logistics pressures on those things, I think, need to be segmented from the pressures that are on the things that society and economies absolutely have to have. So what I would say is logistics systems probably need to do as a whole a better job of prioritizing the things that our economies need versus the things that our economies like to have and that provide a lot of economic activity, but aren't as, you know, they aren't as important as powering the power plants that make factories run, right? They aren't as important as powering the things that make our societies run. So I don't think, I think that had been to a certain extent deprioritized in recent times. Everything runs really smoothly when there's no pandemic and when there's no major disruption. It's only in the last year or so that we've seen what can happen when there's a major disruption and how it impacts all sorts of categories of goods. Eric, I want to shift gears a little bit to the topic of logistics and tech. Obviously, you introduced that there is a lot of metadata around the goods that go through the whole logistics system. Yeah. And obviously, for that data to be analyzed, 
to be used for the purpose of all the players in the value chain. How do you think the overall value chain in the logistics industry has been disrupted? Well, one thing we've seen, so, you know, I've been covering technology in logistics for about the last decade, covering the the space as a whole for about two decades in the last half of that, focusing mostly on technology. So one thing I'll say is this industry is very gradual in terms of its adoption of technology. It is takes a long time for it to sort of adapt to an idea, invest in it, and that becomes the norm. But we've certainly seen an acceleration of that in the last year and a half. Almost every single company I talk to that has a technological component, whether it's a digital intermediary like Shipwaves, whether it's a pure software provider, whether it's a marketplace, they've all told me they've seen huge uptake over the last year and a half, which makes sense. Everybody's been working in remote environments. In some cases, I think people have seen this as a sort of tabula rasa to you know redraw processes that didn't work in a pandemic world. So I think you know, to a certain extent, this has been the time where we've seen all of this, all of this talk about technology kind of get accelerated. But, you know, the, the main problem in logistics is that historically it's been seen as a cost center and not necessarily a value center. And that means that for most people in logistics, budget to, to invest in technology has been hard to come by. So that's over over the years, that's created a mindset of kind of caution, taking a very long time to decide on things being very very methodical in what they decide to use and then once they once they invest in something they tend to use it a long time sometimes past its usefulness date right or sometimes they don't move to something new i think that's starting to change now i see people talking about being much more much more adaptable switch being able to switch into different systems and to use different providers a lot more than they ever did before so i think the mindset is changing a bit Eric, now having said that, where do you think the future technologies, or sorry, I would say, what technologies would you bet for the future in the industry? What's your punt? So I would say I always lean, when I think about what will be adopted over a specific horizon in the future, I always lean toward things that are, you know, the tech world likes the word disruption, but the logistics world hates the word disruption because disruption is a bad word, right? It's a volcano erupting or it's a pandemic. It's a, you know, it's a bad word. So I tend to think of things that are going to be get traction as things that are that actually don't disrupt, but that they complement or that they fill a gap. So and that leads me to think things like hardware, whether it's drones or autonomous vehicles, those are coming, but those are, those require such a complete change of our physical world, right? It, it's changing out a fleet of trucks. It's moving from air cargo to sort of like, you know, micro fulfillment drones. And it's a totally, total mindset, total strategy change. I think what I would bet on in the near term is more around process automation. So things that eliminate data entry roles, things that potentially even eliminate decision making roles around, you know, which carrier do I use? Which 3PL do I use? Which place do I source? Right? Those decisions with you know systems that sort of either replace that or aid a decision maker to to make those decisions. So I I think the automation side of things from a programmatic perspective is going to take much more root in the near term over you know hardware 
things that are really like, uh, you know, big transformations of physical assets. Eric, there's also a regulatory constraint in our country, at least, if you talk about drones and, and stuff like that. There are certain areas where they're, they're far more strategic or we call it as far more uh, integral to country's defense yep. as well. We had uh, some drone a- attacks as well in India from across the border or certain reconnaissance of uh, using drones. So I believe it would be a bit difficult for drones to become mainstream even in our last mile delivery in our country even they're far more strategic and far more integral to our country's defense and safety what's your point of view do you see the same things happening across the world that countries don't want to allow drones want to use it only for defense and very strategic purposes rather than getting it into mainstream well, so I have to caveat, I am not a futurist. So I sometimes I have a hard time seeing where things are 10 years from now. Probably that's a good thing sometimes because I feel like I'm more pragmatic. Course, you think. Yeah, right. But I think where we've definitely seen success in, certain, in terms of drone activity is controlled environments. So a warehouse, I'm hearing lots of interesting use cases for drones inside of a warehouse or inside of a controlled facility, even if it's outdoors, right? And then areas where you have a remote population that is not well served by other, you know, roads or uh, rail, right? Where literally the only way or the best way to serve them is through some sort of aerial device, right? So there's lots of interesting use cases around that. The question is, how many use cases are there for that? And does that filter into sort of like big metropolitan areas where even if even if you don't have a neighbor who's a little antagonistic to you, just the idea of lots of drones flying all over the place, I think throws a lot of people off. And I think you're right. There's a, there's a whole policy regulatory aspect to it that's very hard to overcome. I guess up till now, what I've seen the application of drones is in some closing ceremony or, or the opening ceremony of a sporting event where all the drones had to fly and they showed all the lights around <laughs> and did some formations. So it's more right. of a, you know, a yeah. Republic Day aircraft formations uh, over, uh, over Delhi. That's where I saw a real application of drones on television. Or maybe maybe to replace the spider cam over the cricket matches, right? So uh, uh, That's correct. <laughs> yeah. The controlled environments, though. I've been broken also yeah. by the ball. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Great. I wanted to just provoke a few things in terms of the manpower shortages in the industry, which we saw was one of the backbone to run the industry, which got disrupted. Is this something of a serious talent? issue in the industry or is it that we have not planned for the growth of industry that we are seeing talent shortages whether it's drivers there are a whole host of areas or technicians and that we are seeing a huge shortage which is also leading to disruption yeah that's a great question so i i think i'll answer this in in two parts there's the current issue which is that a lot of the jobs that are available um even if they're good paying jobs are not necessarily seen as desirable jobs so truck drivers at least you know i i track the trucking industry really closely in the u.s there's a shortage in that the pay and the quality of life has not necessarily been what would attract people to that industry over say a construction job or some other sort of labor related job from you know same with warehouse workers there is a shortage of warehouse workers 
workers because driving a forklift, moving boxes is not seen by some as the greatest job in the world. And yet we're ordering more stuff than ever online. And so the demand for those types of jobs is higher than it's ever been, right? So there is a mismatch in that regard. I think this becomes an even bigger issue in the future where you know, we talked a little bit about technology where more logistics jobs are geared directly around technology. So you, it's not just that you uh, work in a warehouse or drive a truck. It's you work in a warehouse, you drive a truck, and you need to be really adept at working with a bot that's trailing around after you. Or you have to manage five different systems inside of your truck. Or maybe you're in an office and you're using and you're you're a data scientist you're not a data entry person right so the skills required in the future i think are going to be way above what they are today in the states we we actually there's been in the last 10 years there's been a a huge number of supply chain and supply chain technology related programs that have emerged. So it's not hard to get the academic schooling in this industry way more than it ever has before. But the question is, are those programs turning out the the talent that the industry needs? Is there enough of them? I definitely think the workforce in logistics is going to change. The makeup of it is going to change a lot over the next few years as more, you know, machine learning and AI starts to take over things that people used to do. For the audience information, in India, one of the last mile delivery company food space, Zomato, which went IPO, has over 160,000 people and their competitor is almost the same, which I've already written about it in one of my blogs. And if you see the whole industry has just mushroomed during the pandemic itself, where we understand that over 2 million jobs requirements are there and we're not able to fill that much of delivery boys and in our country itself. So that's at the most low level of job with low skills where we are seeing a huge shortage so absolutely given that the pandemic required a lot of last mile delivery and that whole industry mushroomed we had to probably think about you know ways and means of how to efficiently use the same manpower and i'm sure that's a great you know use case using tech to solve the issue well, that, that's an issue where, I mean, this is, this is on every mode of, tra- of goods transport, whether, it, whether it's a Zomato or a Pidge driver, you know, delivering your food from a restaurant all the way to a large truck carrying, you know, a huge volume of freight is optimizations are needed at almost every single level, right? You need to minimize empty, empty miles. You need to aggregate orders. You need to be predictive in where orders are likely to come from so that you're using all of these resources, whether it's human or the the vehicle itself to its optimal best. And then the other issue with that optimization issue is the optimization can't be in a silo. The optimization needs to work with other optimizations, right? If you have a predictive system that's great at telling you when it when a, a person is likely to make an order but the optimization the route optimization that the driver uses is not connected to that that well then that's not going to be optimal so all of these in- individual optimizations need to be connected with each other as well so it's it's a really challenging thing but this you're right this is where tech can kind of overcome maybe a, a resource uh, deficiency well i just exited ola which is a point-to-point transportation business model competing with uber 
Yeah. And we've again have the same issues, especially in a city like uh, Bombay, where it's a north-south traffic movement on the peaks. Again, availability of drivers and vehicles at one point where there's a demand on the during the peak hours when I'll the movement is there. Going absolutely, under. absolutely. And I'm sure this is the same issue on the logistics side as well. And, you know, you have then the peak and off-peak hour pricing just to balance the supply and demand. So the industry has kind of geared up. Somebody wants it, time place value, pays more, doesn't want time and place value, opts for a lower priority. That's right. That's Great. Right. I wanted to talk to you about a few innovations that have happened during the time of our pandemic. And closer home, we had the oxygen supply during our second wave of COVID and a huge mobilization of logistics occurred to move oxygen from place of production to the households and the hospitals in the cities and across the country. And I'm sure uh, these sort of innovations you would have seen a lot across the, across the world as well. We used uh, trucks to come onto a rail track and you know, on a mass transit green zone, uh, they were moved from one city or one zone to another where the oxygen was supplied. And this, you mind you, this was an innovative idea which led to making the demand supply of oxygen available at a time of crisis mm. for the patients. Have you seen such events? They are not breakthrough innovations, but this is the need of the R in the logistic industry to really think out of the box to ensure how mass transit and mass movement of goods and supplies in an area of surplus to an area of shortage could happen very rapidly. Yeah. Have you seen such innovations or ideas uh, across the world which you can relate where we can take back to our industry? Well, you know, actually, I think the situation a few months ago here was was quite an interesting case study because I, the world was definitely not just watching, but helping, right? I knew of tons of freight forwarders in US and Europe that were chartering flights and sending, you know, their excess supply as well here. I think the big picture is that crisis tends to bring innovation, right? You know, moments of desperation bring, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? So, you know, I think right. to a certain extent, it showed constraints of, of a system, which every economy operates under some constraints, but also the power of kind of problem solving when some of those constraints are removed and you start to think freely about, oh, if we aren't limited by this and this, we can do this. And that, you know, logistics practitioners by their nature tend to be sort of problem solving people. They like to fix problems, right? And so I think that was a really good example of, of this industry sort of rising to the task. It happened really all at various points throughout COVID in different regions, right? I mean, there were people rushing goods into China at the outset, then rushing goods from China into other regions where they had issues. The other thing I'll mention, you know, in terms of innovation, that's interesting is, I actually think WhatsApp, you know, we were talking about tech and, and all this, but I actually think WhatsApp was incredibly valuable during the, the oxygen situation in India. I was personally involved in quite a few different WhatsApp conversations and just sort of observing what was going on. And people were coordinating goods moving from areas where there was excess to areas where there was a deficit through WhatsApp, you know, so that was essentially the system of record. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we, what we saw was, you know, logistics practitioners are sort of by their nature problem solvers and they like to fix things. And I think we saw that where early on in China, where there was issues, people were sending sending the things that needed to be sent to China to deal with the, the pandemic early on there and then quickly reversing course and China things were being sent from China to other markets, right? And 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 we saw that repeat 
as the pandemic unfolded. So I think it just sort of underscored that. The, the other thing I'll mention is, you know, we've talked a lot about technology. I actually think the most important technology during this whole pandemic, especially in India, uh, for the last, you know, that in spring was uh, WhatsApp. I was I was personally on a number of, uh, you know, WhatsApp threads where a whole bunch of coordination was happening, uh, getting getting goods that were in excess in one area to to where they were in deficit in another area. So in a sense, WhatsApp was sort of acting as the system of record between all of these parties that aren't normally connected to one another. So it just shows, you know, innovation comes in. It doesn't have to be in an AI-based optimization system. It can be a simple communication platform, too, um, where innovation can happen. Yeah, and... I think that leads to solutions that were very imperative and the need for it is very imperative than never before. And I guess WhatsApp is just one of the solutions people have put up. We call this as the Jugad in That's India. Right. Jugad. Yeah, Jugad innovation in India. Yep. But what is it that you are seeing in terms of the innovation and advances in, in this space? In, in visibility? Yes. So I sort of have a, a love-hate relationship with visibility. I, I've been writing about it and covering it for so long that it, to a certain extent, I feel it's, it's always going to be what everyone wants from visibility is always going to be a year or two into the future. And it's always that way. It's been that way for 15 years. But it does feel like there's a little bit of actual progress happening on that front. The, the problem is, historically, visibility has been very fragmented between modes. So you could get good trucking visibility, or you could get good ocean freight visibility, or you could get visibility, you know, in a particular region that was good, but not across all of the regions that you move goods. It feels like there's starting to be some movement around really making that a less of a problem. And then the other issue was just sort of data accuracy. It, it was great to start to get data around your goods in transit. But if, you know, say 10, 15% of that data was a little bit off? Was it inaccurate or it came a day too late? It really started to make the entire uh, the entirety of your visibility platform less valuable. You need it closer to 100% so you can count on any individual piece of information. So that, you know, it, it does feel like there's a lot of headway that's being made on that front. So stitching together modes, stitching together you know, global geographies, and then making the data more real time and more accurate. There's just a lot of progress on that. So, you know, I think in the next few years, we'll start to see it be even more valuable than it's been in the past. Eric, constraint I wanted to talk was the cold chain in India, mm. especially there were doubt about movement of vaccine to the whole masses across the, the length and breadth of the country. In fact, I wrote about it as well. And, you know, I studied the cold chain in India when I was working with Group Danone to launch uh, dairy in India, the dairy products in India to the Indian subsidiary. And one of the issues that we understood, you know, the last mile cold chain, a lot of infrastructure had to be invested into. And guys like the PepsiCo and the Coca-Cola had taken a, a headway. We still see this whole cold chain issue a nightmare uh, in our country. How do you think we are going to work around this? And are you seeing this happening in other emerging countries as well? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, so I, I lived in India. I was working from here from uh, 07 to 2012. And I can recall at that point, you know, this issue being cited as one that was just going to be a massive challenge. You know, I think for the most part, it was nothing to do with vaccines back then. It was perishable goods, right? There was so much and wastage, right? And if you could solve that, it was good for the environment. It was good for, 
you know, the producer is great for the consumers. I mean, I think in 10 years, I don't know how much progress has actually been made relative to the number of challenges, right? The, the challenges seem to get more numerous and progress sort of tracks against those challenges, but there's always challenges that sort of surpass it. I think this is an issue of, well, first of all, the, the climate here is just, you know, it's, it's really difficult to deal with the number of people that need perishable products. It's, it's a big opportunity, but it's such a massive challenge that no other country with this climate faces. And then the cost. When I was part of the Prime Minister's Task Force for Food and Agri Reform in 1998, annually India would lose 55,000 crores worth of perishable agri products. Yeah. A recent report mentioned that we have been able to save about 10,000 crores of perishable products. So still use of perishable products because of lack of processing and cold chain in India. Yeah, yeah. It's expensive. It's a huge. I mean, it's expensive. And so, I mean, I'll give you a, a, I'll give you an example in the U S there's, it's a, it's a massive challenge and an opportunity in the U S as well. But what's happened is there's one, there's one company that's actually taken a more than 50% share of the cold chain facility market, a company called lineage logistics. And they've basically consolidated that industry. And it will be interesting to see whether they in that dominant position um, they operate in other countries, too. It's not just in the U.S. Whether that dominant position allows them to sort of take out some of the inefficiencies that individual operators kind of struggle with. I don't know if you'll ever get to that point in India where there's one operator that has a dominant position like that. But it's it's a huge cost. It's that's the reality is I think the cost of the cost of running and setting up that cold chain you know network in the country has been more than what it costs to let things sort of spoil right so unless it makes sense financially economically it's hard to justify those investments right audience uh, perspective what india loses in, in a year would be sufficient enough to vaccinate our whole country for covid that's the value we don't have a proper cold chain and logistics and processing in india yeah yeah no i mean the opportunity so, is and there that for sure moving on uh, i would love to now talk about you know how is the maturity of various solutions? I keep getting presentations after presentations and analyst reports talking about, hey, this is great and this and that. But when we try to integrate it with our existing solutions, whether it's in our investing companies or in some of us, that the whole integration of these tech solutions and new age technology that keeps coming in and, and you mentioned about to kind of you know upgrade some of the solutions in, in technology in logistics how is the industry going to move are not able to get replaced or the technology is not compatible to the newer age innovations that's coming in yeah i mean adoption is it's a it's a big problem there's there one thing that's happened in the last you know five to ten years is there's just been a lot of investment into this industry so there's a lot of solutions the number of solutions that are available to, say, a cargo owner or uh, a 3PL or a carrier are so many, so much more numerous than they were a de even a decade ago. So there's lots of different options. I think, in its to a certain extent, all of those options is can be a bit of a problem in that it can create a, an issue where people get very confused about what to invest in before you can even get to the adoption phase. But you're right. I think. One of the things that's really tricky is, you know, there's a there's a cliche that most supply chains are run on Excel, 
right? And that every technology first and foremost is competing with Excel, not a competitor. So that's a that's a problem in that people are comfortable with something that does the job, even if it's not doing it optimally, they're comfortable with doing it and they, they're really reluctant to break something if it's not truly broken. So you have this gets back to the mindset. You have to have a mindset that you're going to be looking out at what where you want your organization to be in two to three years. And you know if you're if you're in the business of selling solutions, you need to. It comes down to this. I think you need to be able to quickly determine whether the company that you're talking to has that mindset or not. Because if they don't have that mindset, you're going to end up spending a lot of time selling into an organization that is eventually not going to, you know, adopt what you're trying to sell. And I think, you know, after five to 10 years now of, of all of these new companies that have come into the market, I think they're probably really good at figuring out, you know, is, is there something that this potential customer is saying that is a, that tells me that they are not going to be adopting us in the next year, right? And, and that's really the key. You cannot waste precious resources chasing a customer that does not want to change. I think that the, the flip side of that is there are so many customers to chase that it's not, you, you don't have a small number of people that could potentially be customers. So the key is to move off of the customer that doesn't, isn't going to buy your service or your technology and move to one that is, that's the key. Well, the issue of total cost of ownership all comes in and from a certain technology or integrate the technology, the total cost of ownership as a sum total should come down rather than that happen in at least in three of the industries where I invest or four of the industries where I invest or I continue to invest. So technology ownership, it's the, the cost and the benefits do not kind of match up. How do we then push that in an investment into innovation so that it's becoming cheaper, better, faster as a value proposition for the industry to adopt from the logistics industry as a solution? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great point. Um, I think a lot of early early companies into this cycle were identifying a problem that they thought was a was a widespread problem and it was actually a pretty narrow problem and it and the TCO issue might be there for a few companies but it's not there at scale right so i think the key there is getting early founders early solutions providers and their investors closer to a range of potential customers for which this is a big fix for a problem. So it's it's really looking and, and and you know this is an issue because for a small startup the best way to get traction is to focus on a on a narrow case a narrow solution to a specific pain point get really strong at that and then build out from there. But problem is if you only solve one very you know specific problem for a narrow set of customers you can never scale the way that a, a an investor wants you to so i think in logistics what's interesting is Correct. you can have you can have a bunch of different types of companies that sell completely different products but they have common pain points there's a specific process that cuts across all of their companies and that's the challenge is to find that thing that is is common across a bunch of different verticals and create the horizontal solution to it. So I think the more the more that early stage companies and their investors can get access to a broader range of of kind of potential customers, 
the better they'll be able to find that solution that cuts across those verticals instead of just being really, really good for 10 customers and not very good for anybody else. Eric, I want to shift gears and talk about money supply to the industry. Seen a lot of disruption just because the money supply that is the engine to the logistics industry as well as to their customers was in real short supply during the pandemic. And obviously, there are not many solutions here apart from the banks and NBFCs in India and uh, also the government allowing for certain waivers to fund this whole engine in terms of incentives and whatever you do you think that it's time that we should probably look at fintechs also entering into the logistics era so uh, this is definitely something we're seeing in other re- in other regions right where there's you know f- either fintech companies are looking at the logistics industry is something where there's a lot of potential or you're seeing, you know, technology companies figure out a fintech angle to what they're doing. Right. And that's to tether, you know, the movement of goods to, as I mentioned at the at the beginning, the, the movement of goods to financing of those goods. Right. So Correct. I think it's funny you bring this up because, you know, this issue of supply, because in the U.S. right now, the problem is the opposite. Everyone is complaining that money is too easy to get for all types of companies. Uh, and, you know, they're worried about a bubble kind of being created. And, and it's not everybody. I think some people see a big difference between today and, and, you know, say 2000. Investors are much more rational. Investors are much more... There's a lot more diligence. They understand the industry a lot better. But, the, you know, it's not every day there's a new company that's getting a funding round in the States. And so, you know, in terms of monetary supply here in India, I think the problem is it's it, this is just my perception from very much from the outside looking in is the, the structure of the industry is still so fragmented that if, if I'm going to invest into this space, I want to see a path toward consolidating a little bit of it. You know, not necessarily the whole industry, that's impossible, but consolidating enough where, you know, a a business can scale. And and whether fintech is the one to make that happen, it's very possible that that is because I can remember hearing a founder here a few years ago tell me that every freight forward in India is actually, only thing they're doing is moving money from one, one side to another. That's the biggest function they do. It's not buying capacity on a ship, it's not finding a truck. It's taking money from over here and deploying it somewhere else over here, right? So, you know, there there probably is room for, for fintech to take a larger right. role. Great. You talked about private equity investment in the industry at an all-time high. Say it's an inverted thing here. There's a lot of money now chasing more mature companies. We have had, we are going to be seeing an IPO, but at the bottom, the startups are still struggling to raise capital in India as well. In India, is is a bit slow, especially after last year's pandemic. It's kind of slow, and I'm seeing the deal flows not really leading to an investment. There's a lot of deals, but it's not fructifying into investment into the startups or hmm. early stage companies in India. Who can take a risk? in early stage to see that there are further growth stories and unicorns coming out maybe in the next few years to, to take a punt in the logistics tech early stage so that they can definitely see some emerging business models in the in the next few years well i mean i, I think there's a couple things i think you know i t- I, I talked to a, a good number of early stage founders here and they all every single one of them that i've talked to has 
a, a domain, a level of domain expertise that is very strong. So they understand they are not just coming in thinking there's a problem to solve. I need to figure out what the problem is. I also need to figure out the tech to solve it. They're coming in going, I've spent 10, 20, 25 years in this space. I know exactly what's broken. I'm going to, you know, align myself with the program, programming engineering team to fix that problem. So I think there's a real good alignment between expertise and problem solving. And, and you know, the scale of the problem here is such that th there can be a lot of differentiation. I think one of the problems in, in the U.S. and in Europe is that the logistics networks, people like to complain, but the logistics networks are pretty efficient. They run really well. You know, the roads are smooth from most point. Things run on time for the most part. Not this year. This year, everything has been broken. But um, so if you if, if you invest in a technology, you may be getting an incremental benefit. In India, I think if you invest in the right technology, you could be getting a massive benefit, a massive competitive edge over the existing players. Or you could be helping to enable those existing players to get a competitive edge against their competitors. So I think the, the ability to sort of differentiate is that much bigger if you invest in the right solution. Excellent. Eric, I want to talk a little bit about the issue of sustainability. You see, in one of my blogs, and this is a company called Zomato, which just had a very successful IPO. I wouldn't call it successful, but here's some statistics. They run 4 billion kilometers a year in this country. They release about 186 million kilos of carbon in our environment and around 80 million liters of fuel is being used by their bikers to do the last mile delivery. And this is just one company and we have multiple such companies. How do you sensitize the industry to be much more sustainable and green? Well, this is a this is a challenge all over, obviously. And now we don't have Trump at White House, so <laughs> I'm sure you know this whole whole the agenda of sustainability and other things will be far more uh, active, stronger. Yeah. Well, so I think there's two elements to this. So it depends on the industry. So if you if you're looking at, let's take the container shipping industry, where there's a there's a limited number of suppliers into that industry, right? I think the the bulk of the responsibility, I won't say the bulk, but a lot of the responsibility falls on the suppliers in that type of industry, where they need to collectively decide they are going to make massive changes to, you know, not just the fuels they use, not just you know, the routes that they take, but making sure that they're running as efficiently as possible. And that obviously means working with their customers and working with their intermediate with intermediaries to facilitate that. But Zomato, last mile, trucking industries, both in India and Europe and, and the US, they're so fragmented. And it's not about controlling 10 suppliers, and then you've solved the problem. It's in how do you make the consumer of those services force the supplier to change their behavior. And I think, you know, from a large freight perspective, you're starting to see that. There's companies now that are saying, we have environmental mandates that are far beyond anything we've ever done before. We are going to be a greener company. And, and that means that our, the suppliers we work with, whether a trucking company or a last mile delivery company, need to align with that. What does that mean? Uh, I think it means forcing them to move to assets that are more environmentally friendly. I think it means back to the optimization issue, forcing them to invest in optimization that helps them reduce empty miles and to aggregate orders, right? Whether it's Sumato delivering 
you know, things to people's houses or trucks delivering goods from a port to a, you know, distribution center, right? So, and there's a whole bunch of other things. I mean, there's everything from, you know, if you're a, if you're a large multinational and you're sourcing from one country to another, are you using the total route that's least, that has the lowest carbon footprint? Or are you using, are you going to the, your favorite port because they move your container faster and you get a lower rate from point A to point B through that port, but it's actually much more environmentally unfriendly to use that port versus one that's closer to your final destination. So it's there's no one single solution and, and there's no one single entity that can control this. It's like everybody has to be sort of demanding more of each other and they need to individually be figuring out solutions that, that can work to, to improve the problem. You talked about consolidation at various times in our talk. And I, I think that it's time that the industry has to start consolidating to get the scale and other benefits. Where do you think you'll see a lot of activity in the next few years to come? You know, it's a great question, and I'm not really sure I have a good answer. I think the theory about, say, seven years ago, uh, that venture capitalists investing into this industry I think they thought there was a an Uber type opportunity and not necessarily the exact business model of Uber, but there was the opportunity to become the name brand associated with a certain type of service. So, you know, you mentioned Flexport. I think Flexport, SoftBank invested a billion dollars into Flexport. They did not invest a billion dollars into Flexport to be, you know, one of 25 freight forwarders that moves goods from Asia to the US or from Asia to Europe. They invested in them presumably to take a dominant role in the market that they that they're in. The problem is technology creates democratization. And so if it, even if there's a bunch of companies that don't adopt technology and get sort of wiped away or acquired because a Flexport or a Shipwaves is more efficient than they are, you have a whole bunch of other companies that adopt technology and all of a sudden can uh, improve their own capability in terms of serving customers, in terms of operational efficiency, they can get really good really quickly using technology, and that helps them stay in the game. And you can even have a new company that's not necessarily, quote unquote, a digital forwarder, but a new 3PL, say, that uh, adopts you know a bunch of different enablement platforms, a, a visibility platform, a quoting platform, a CRM, and they can get they can use those tools and really sort of scale up quite quickly themselves. So I think we're moving from one form of fragmentation to another form of fragmentation. And I'm not sure that's great for consolidation, except maybe down the road, but probably not as quickly as it needs to happen. That's a great answer, Eric. Last question, and I want to get your thoughts on, you know, COVID is a great reset to a lot of things that was good or bad to the world. If we were to just press the reset button to the whole logistics industry, what would be your vision of the logistic and tech industry? Mm, that's a great question. That's a tough one to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, well, so I think, Eric, I've enjoyed talking to you. So yeah, no, I, this has been a great chat. I think so if we could sort of wave a magic wand and, and reset things, I think we would do away with a lot of sort of spreadsheet 1990s, early 2000s based software architecture and you know, magically people, not only would they not exist, but people would have no memory of them existing. And that 
getting that sort of clutter out of the way and that dependency on those things would open up their minds to adopt what's what's being developed right now, which is, you know, I'm not going to say that the things that are being developed right now are transformational and revolutionary. They're, I see them as just, they are evolutionary. They're much better versions of what, you know, people in the past have worked on. The software is better now. The it's cheaper. It's easier to implement. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it, there's just the burdens and barriers to adoption are less with, with current software architecture. So if we could wipe away all of the things that existed, say, pre-2015, 20, maybe, say, 2010, and wiped away people's memories of relying upon those, I think we'd be in a really interesting position right now because you'd have a lot more people that were open-minded about what they could adopt right now and not worrying about, oh, well, I, I have this existing system and we've invested a lot into it and everyone knows how to use it and it's not really broken. So I'm just going to keep relying on this. So what you're saying is a man in black who comes <laughs> and erases the whole memory of the logistics industry. And then we have the Star Wars where we have a new technology to move people and things intergalactically. I, I don't want to wipe away all their memory, just the just the memory of like the systems they use. I still want their experience and their problem solving and and knowing and and all the relationships they have. So just part of their memory, not all of it. Eric, it's really pleasure talking to you and provoking thoughts as a person who I, I have regarded very much. I really thank you to spending time with us. Sorry for the delays of, of the tech and whatever we have faced. And I wish you a pleasant stay in India and look forward to interacting with you. Before I go, a few announcements for our listeners. We'd like to thank our sponsors, our team for making it possible. We are going to be back next month with our episodes of Quote Unquote with KK. So stay tuned. Thanks and have a nice day. 